Last weekend, Alhamdulillah, you memorized the word-to-word translation of Surah Al-Fatiha. And Alhamdulillah, for some of you, it took only 10-15 minutes. Some of you took half an hour and some people took more. And some people took even less than 15 minutes. Inshallah, for the rest of this course, this is going to be your regular homework. What? That you have to memorize the word-to-word translation of the lesson that we study. Alright? So just because I don't say, it doesn't mean you don't have that homework. It's something that is understood. Is it understood? It's clear to everyone? Okay. And inshallah, this homework will be reviewed where? In the groups, where your group in charge will listen to the word-to-word translation from you. Inshallah, you will also be taught as to how to memorize the word-to-word. Inshallah, some tips will be given about that as well. But just for now, what I want you to do is, as you sit down to memorize the word-to-word, what you do is that you take ayah by ayah, take one verse at a time. Look at the Arabic, say it out, just as I made you practice in class last week, that you say out the Arabic word, then you say the translation, all right? Say that for the entire ayah, repeat three or four times. Then cover the translation, hide it with a piece of paper. You should have a big bookmark with you all the time in your juice with which you cover the translation, all right? And then you practice it on your own. You test yourself, okay? Can you do that? Inshallah, you can. And then finally, when you think you're good at it, then you open up the mushaf, which doesn't have any translation on it, okay? And then you test yourself. And if you want, have somebody else test you as well. Okay, now, how many times is it that you're required to read through the word-to-word in order to memorize it? A minimum of seven times. Your homework is that you have to read the word-to-word with the intention to memorize. How many times? Seven times. Just as I read it to you over here once, you have to do it at least seven times. That's minimum. If you want to do it more than that, you're more than welcome. So remember this, that this is your homework as well. Your group in charge might ask you, how many times did you do your lesson? So what's the right answer? What should be the answer? Seven times. And alhamdulillah, because you have your class only twice a week, it shouldn't be that difficult. You can spread it out in the sense that you can memorize two ayat one day, the next two ayat the other day, you know, another two ayat the other day. So this way, throughout the week, you will have a constant connection with the Qur'an. And inshallah, you will also be able to do your homework. And one more thing that I want you to do is, this is also a part of your homework, which is that when you are memorizing the word-to-word, every time you do it once, I want you to put a mark at the end of the lesson. Just put like a small line. You did it once, put a small line. You did it the second time, put another small line. You did it three times, put another small line. Four times, five times, six times, seven times. So you should have seven small lines at the end of each lesson. Okay? Why? So that you know that you have done your homework. Okay? Because it's quite possible you thought you did it, but you didn't actually do it, and you look back and you see, oh my God, I've done this only five times. So you go over it again two times and you complete your homework. Okay? So one thing that you have to do in homework is read it. Read the word to word how many times? Seven times. Secondly, you have to mark it as well that you've done it seven times. And thirdly, I also want you to listen to the recitation. Listen to the recitation of the ayat that we are studying. A very good tip is that you listen to the recitation of the Quran, for example, from the beginning of the Quran, from Surah Al-Fatiha all the way until we have learnt. Can you do that as well? Okay, let's continue. Okay, alhamdulillah. A'udhu billahi minash rajim Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Surah Al-Baqarah is a Madani surah. And Al-Baqarah means the cow. The surah is named Al-Baqarah. Why? Because it is named after the story of the cow and the Bani Israel, which is mentioned in verses 67 to 73 of the surah. Inshallah, we will study it 
in the first juz. Surah Al-Baqarah was revealed after the Hijrah. It's a Madani Surah. And I told you last time that Makki Surahs are those which were revealed before the Hijrah. And Madani Surahs are those which were revealed after the Hijrah. So Makki, Madani, this division is not according to place, but rather it is according to the era, the time. And Surah Al-Baqarah is the longest Surah of the Qur'an. It covers two and a half juz. And the surah has 286 verses. How many verses? 286. So it is a very long surah. And as I mentioned to you earlier, that the surah is madni. Remember that madni surahs, they have certain qualities, certain characteristics, which you will see very clearly in the surah. That first of all, madni surahs speak about the commands, the rulings, the things that the actions that Muslims are required to do. So in Surah Al-Baqarah, we will learn about lots of rules, lots of laws about worship such as prayer, fasting, hajj. Similarly, there are also laws concerning family life, social life, marriage, divorce. Similarly, there are also laws concerning financial matters, buying and selling, interest, etc. So Madani Surahs contain laws. And inshallah, we will be studying lots of laws in the Surah. And Madri surahs are also longer. And this is why Surah Al-Baqarah is also very long. Now Surah Al-Baqarah is the longest surah of the Qur'an and it's also one of the most important surahs of the Qur'an. We learned that the Prophet ﷺ, he said, تَعَلَّمُوا سُورَةَ الْبَقَرَةِ Learn Surah Al-Baqarah. تَعَلَّمُوا Learn it. Why? فَإِنَّ أَخْذَهَا بَرَكَةِ وَتَرْكَهَا Because in learning it, there is blessing. And in ignoring it, in leaving it, there is sorrow. So the one who learns the surah, the one who studies the surah, who learns it, he will find lots of blessings. And a person who leaves it, a person who ignores it, he will suffer from sorrow. He is deprived of a great fortune. The hadith continues, the Prophet ﷺ said, that learn Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Ali Imran. Surah Ali Imran is the third surah of the Qur'an. Learn both of these surahs. Why? Because they are two lights. They are two lights. And they will shade their people on the day of resurrection. Just as two clouds, or two spaces of shade, or two lines of flying birds. On the day of judgment, Surah Al-Baqarah and Surah Ali Imran. Those people who learn, who read, who recite these two surahs, what will these surahs do? They will come and give light to a person. They will come and shade the person. They will come in the form of two clouds or two lines of birds. And the Qur'an will come and intercede for the person who learns the Qur'an. And part of that obviously is Surah Al-Baqarah. Similarly, we learn in another hadith. That the Prophet ﷺ said, لَا تَجْعَلُوا بُيُوتَكُمْ قُبُورًا Do not make your houses graveyards. Do not turn your homes into graveyards. How? If you think about it, a graveyard, is it dead? If you go there, does it give you a dead feeling? There is no life? It may be very green. There may be a lot of grass. There may be lots of flowers as well. But you just go there and you get this depressing, very sad feeling. It's as if there is no life over there. Whereas the buried people are where? Under the ground. On the surface it may appear to be very beautiful. So what does it mean by this? لَا تَجْعَلُوا بُيُوتَكُمْ قُبُورًا Do not make your houses graveyards. 
A house in which the Qur'an is not recited is like a graveyard. It's like a dead house. There is no life over there. The Prophet ﷺ said, Do not make your houses into graveyards. فَإِنَّ الْبَيْتَ الَّذِي تُقْرَأُ فِيهِ سُورَةُ الْبَقْرَةِ لَا يَدْخُلُهُ الشَّيْطَانِ The house in which Surah Al-Baqarah is recited, shaitan does not enter there. Shaitan does not come over there. So what does it show to us, this hadith? That the house in which the Qur'an is recited, the house in which Surah Al-Baqarah is recited, that house is alive. The people of that house, they are alive. When the Qur'an is not recited over there, it's like a graveyard. And when the Qur'an is not recited over there, then what's going to happen? Shaitan will come. If Surah Al-Baqarah is read, Shaitan will go away. Is there a problem with having Shaitan around? A big problem. Because who is Shaitan? إِنَّ الشَّيْطَانَ لَكُمْ عَدُوٌ فَاتَّخِذُوهُ عَدُوًا He's our enemy. Just imagine having your enemy inside your house. Having your enemy inside your house. Are you safe? You're not safe at all. So when shaitan will be there in your house, what's going to happen? There will be fights. There will be arguments. There will be sadness. There will be depression. A person may be in the most comfortable houses when it comes to material things. But he may not find any happiness, any peace in that house. Why? What's missing? The Qur'an is missing. What's missing? Surah Al-Baqarah is missing. So if you're getting that feeling... That when it's time to go home, you're like, I don't want to go home. I'd rather go to the mall. I'd rather go to my friend's house. I just don't want to go home. You need to recite Surah Al-Baqarah in your house. You need to recite it. Similarly, if you feel that you're having lots of problems with your family members, whether it's your children, or it's your husband, or it's your in-laws, or it's your siblings, whoever's living with you, you feel that you're having problems with them, there is miscommunication, misunderstanding, and as a result, people are not at good terms, and what should we do? Recite Surah Al-Baqarah. Because these problems are a result of what? Shaitan being extremely active. So you need to expel shaitan from your house, and in order to do that, what do you have to do? Recite Surah Al-Baqarah. So the Prophet ﷺ said, لا تجعلوا بيوتكم قبورا. Don't make your houses into graveyards. So inshallah, let's all practice this. Let's read Surah Al-Baqarah in our houses. Let's listen to the recitation of Surah Al-Baqarah in our houses. And as you are doing your word to word, memorizing your lesson, keep this in mind as well. As you're reciting the ayat, practicing your tajweed, keep this in mind. And read it out loud. Share the meaning with the people of your house so that even they can benefit. You're not the only person who is benefiting. So let's begin this practice inshallah. Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alif, Lam, Meem. What do these letters mean? Alif, Lam, Meem. Have you heard of these letters before? Have you? There are many surahs of the Qur'an, such as Surah Yasin, Surah Ali Ibran, Hamim al-Sajda. There are many, many surahs of the Qur'an that begin with these huruf. These huruf, Alif, Lam, Meem, or elsewhere you learn Hamim, Ain, Sin, Qaf, Sad, Yasin, Taha. These huruf, what are they? They are part of the Arabic alphabet. Arabic alphabet, alif, ba, ta, tha, jim, ha, kha. So these letters are a part of huruful hija, the Arabic alphabet. And these huruf, they are written together, as you see over here, lam and meem are joined together. So these huruf are written together, however they are read separately. You don't read the letters together. For example, when you look at the word alhamdu, you join alif and lam. You say al, you don't say alif, lam. 
When you see the word hamd, what do you do? You connect hamim and dal. You say hamd. You don't say hamim dal. Isn't it so? But when it comes to these huruf, how do you read them? Separately. You don't read them together. This is why these huruf, they are known as huruf muqatta'at. Muqatta'at. From the word qata'a. Qata'a is to cut something. So muqatta'at, the disjointed letters. The letters that are cut up. Meaning when you're reading them, you read them one by one. Not together in the form of a word. Now what are these huruf muqatta'at? These huruf muqatta'at, the scholars have differed concerning them. Concerning their meaning, concerning their wisdom. And there are many, many opinions out there. But if you look at all of these opinions, they can be summarized into four. I'm telling you these meanings because... People have superstitious beliefs concerning these huruf, which is why sometimes they will write them and they will hang them in their house, or they will read them over and over again, or they will think that they have a particular meaning. So anyway, when you look at these opinions that are there, they can be summarized into four. First of all, it is said that these huruf, they have a meaning. Some have said that these huruf, they mean some of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, or the name of the surah, or something like that. Secondly, it has been said that these huruf, they are of the Arabic alphabet, and they don't have a meaning. When you read the Arabic alphabet, do those alphabet have a meaning? Do those letters have a meaning? They don't. Similarly, these huruf also do not have a meaning. Thirdly, it is said that these letters, these huruf, they have a meaning, but we don't know about it. Who knows about it? Allah knows about it. We don't know about it. And fourthly, it is also said that these huruf, we don't speculate anything concerning them. We don't say whether they have a meaning or they don't have a meaning. No, we just pause right here. We just stop right here. When it comes to these huruf, we only recite them. We don't delve into what their meaning is, whether they have a meaning or they don't have a meaning. So these are four opinions. Out of all of these opinions, the strongest one seems to be the second one, which is that these huruf, what are they? Huruf hija'iya. They are Arabic alphabet. And because of that, they don't have any meaning. You don't translate them. Just as the letter jim, does it have a meaning? No. The letter ha, does it have a meaning? No. Similarly, alif, lam, meem, literally these letters do not have a meaning. But a person may wonder, how could there be something meaningless in the book of Allah? Isn't it? You could wonder. that how could there be something meaningless in the book of Allah? The fact is that these letters, they don't have a meaning. However, they have a purpose. They have a reason. There's a reason why they are placed in the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a wisdom behind that. Alright? And what's that wisdom? Scholars have suggested that these huruf, they point out, they show the miraculous nature of the Qur'an. We know that the Qur'an is a miracle. How is the Qur'an a miracle? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala challenges the people in the Qur'an Try to produce something like the Qur'an. The Arabs, people who are most eloquent in the Arabic language, most familiar with that language, none of them was able to bring anything even similar to the Qur'an, even close to it. So these huruf, if you think about it, what are these huruf? The huruf that people speak, the letters that people use, the sounds that people use. And if you think about it, the Qur'an has been revealed in which letters, in which words? In which sounds? The sounds that people utter, the words that people speak, the letters that people use. So in the same letters and words, the Qur'an has been revealed. Yet the people cannot produce anything that is like the Qur'an. People use alif, lam, meme all the time. Isn't it so? You use the sound a, uh, you use the sound la, you use the sound ma all the time. But is any human being 
capable of producing anything like the Qur'an? Impossible. No way. So these letters, Alif, Lam, Mim, what do they do? These huruf muqatta'at, they show the miraculous nature of the Qur'an. Which is why we see that always these huruf, they appear at the beginning of the surahs. And right after them comes an ayah which exalts the status of the Qur'an directly or indirectly. It exalts the status of the Qur'an. Because these huruf are reminding us that this Qur'an is a miracle. So with this in mind, let's begin the surah. Alif, Lam, Mim. Alif, Lam, Mim. This kalam is of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You use the same letters, but you cannot produce anything like it. So this is not the word of a human being. This is the word of who? Allah. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ This is the book. لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ In which is no doubt. This book that you're reading, this book, the Qur'an, is a book in which there is no doubt. And what is it? It is هُدًا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ It is a guidance for who? Those people who have taqwa. The word ذَلِكَ means that. And it's used to point out to something. Just as the word this or that in the English language, what do we use it for? Point out to something. This is used for that which is near. And that we use to point towards what? That which is far. So similarly, ذَلِكَ means that. And it's used to point out to something that is far. So ذَلِكَ kitab, That is the book. Why is that being used to show the exalted status of Qur'an? Because when something is far, it could be far in the sense that it's far away from you or because it's exalted, it's higher compared to you, it's above you. So, ذَلِكَ kitab, that book, this is a book. And the book, what does this book refer to? The Qur'an. The word kitab is from the root letters, kaftaba. And katb means jamr, to gather something, to collect. Kitab, is used for a book. Why book? Because what do you have in a book? Lots of words, lots of letters, lots of messages, lots of concepts combined together, joined together, put together. This is what a book is. Isn't it so? You may find a document here or there, but when you see a book, a lot has been put together. So this is what a kitab is. And remember that the word kitab also gives the meaning of writing. So al kitab, that is the book, meaning this Qur'an is a book. Now I have a question for you. When the Qur'an was being revealed to the Prophet ﷺ, did the people have the Qur'an in a book form like we have? No. They didn't have it. So why is the Qur'an called kitab then? Very good. That the Qur'an is a kitab, it's originally a kitab, and at the time when this was being revealed, yes, it was not in a book form. It's written where? In the lawhul mahfuz. It's written with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the Lawhul Mahfuz. In Surah Al Buruj, Ayah 21 to 22, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Bal huwa Qur'anun majid fi lawhin mahfuz. Similarly, it's called Kitab. Why? Because it's written in the Suhuful Mukarrama with the angels. So it's written with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it's written with the angels as well. In Surah Abasa, Ayah 12 to 16, we learn, فَمَنْ شَاءَ ذَكَرَهُ فِي صُحُفٍ مُكَرَّمَةٍ مَرْفُوعَةٍ that whoever wills may remember it, meaning may take a lesson from the Qur'an, which is recorded in honored sheets. It's recorded where? In honored sheets that are exalted and purified. And who has these sheets? 
by the hands of the messenger angels that are noble and beautiful. So the Qur'an is called Kitab because it's written with Allah, it's written with the angels, and it's also written with who? With us, in the Mus'haf that you have. So ذَلِكَ kitab, this book, this Qur'an, how does Allah describe it? لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ In it there is no doubt at all. Raib. What does Raib mean? Doubt. And Raib is from the root letters Ra, Ya, Ba. Raib is used for doubt. There is another word that is used for doubt in the Arabic language which is Shak. Shak is also doubt. Raib is such a doubt that makes a person unsettled. That takes the peace of mind away from a person. Meaning he's not settled at all. He's restless. He's constantly debating. Constantly debating. Should I do this? Should I not do this? He's not able to trust what he wants to do. He's not able to trust the other person. He's doubtful. And that's taking his peace away. He cannot leave it. He cannot ignore it. So, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ Allah says this is a book in which there is no doubt. What does it mean by this? That there is no doubt in the Qur'an. There is no doubt in the fact that this Qur'an is from Allah. There is no doubt about the contents of this Qur'an. Meaning every single statement in this book, what is it? It is factual. It is a reality. It's not doubtful at all. So there is no doubt in the fact that it has been sent down by Allah. There is no doubt in the fact that this Qur'an is factual. Nothing incorrect is in this book. Every statement in this book, what is it? Accurate, correct, truthful, reliable. You can trust it. You can take it as it is. So ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ Why do you think Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins this surah with the introduction to the Qur'an and the first description that is given of the Qur'an is that there is no doubt about it. Why do you think so? Is it necessary to know that this Qur'an is free of doubt? As human beings, we become doubtful. And many times it happens that we doubt other people. And when we doubt other people, we doubt what we read. We're doubting some news. We're doubting the news that we're hearing or we're reading. What happens? Can you benefit? You cannot benefit. Can you be at peace? No, you cannot be at peace. Can it answer your questions? It cannot answer your questions. So in order to fully benefit from something, what do you need to have? Trust and confidence. So when Allah says, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ What's the purpose? That as you study this book, have trust, have confidence that what you're reading is factual. What you're reading is a hundred percent true. What you're reading, what you're studying is a hundred percent beneficial. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ So this gives assurance to the listener. This gives peace of mind to the listener. That have no fear, no bias, so that you can benefit from this book. And this book, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, it is hudan lil muttaqeen. It is a guidance. It is a guidance for who? For those people who have taqwa. Muttaqeen is a plural of muttaqi. And muttaqi is one who has taqwa. It's from the root letters, wal qaf ya. Wal qaf ya. You don't see the wal, but as I told you earlier, that there are some letters that are part of the root, but you don't always see them. Why? Inshallah, you will learn about that as well. So it's from the root letters, wal qaf ya. And wiqaya is to save yourself, to take a shield, to protect yourself. Who is muttaqi? Muttaqi is someone who has taken a shield in order to protect himself, in order to save himself from something that is dangerous, from something that is harmful. 
You understand who a muttaqi is? Who is muttaqi? Someone who has taken a shield in order to protect himself. For example, if you go to Hajj, you go to Umrah. Let's say you go to Umrah in the month of Ramadan. Thousands of people. Thousands of people. Hundreds and thousands of people. You can imagine if one person catches a cold, if one person catches a viral infection, what's going to happen? Is it going to stay with him? It's going to spread everywhere. Now if you want to protect yourself, then what are you going to do? Before going, you might take a flu shot. When you go there, you might become very, very careful with how you interact with other people. For example, you keep washing your hands. When you eat something, you make sure it's not contaminated. You become extremely careful in where you sit, who you sit next to. For example, if a person is coughing a lot, sneezing a lot, you don't go near them. Why? Because you're afraid. I spent all that money so that I can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I cannot afford to get sick. So you become careful. Similarly, if a person has some food allergy or some food sensitivity, they cannot have certain foods. If they have them, they can cause a lot of harm to their body. So they become extremely careful about what they eat. Isn't it so? They become extremely careful about what they eat. They check all the ingredients. They go to somebody's house. They ask them, did you put any nuts in this? Did you put any dairy in this? If you did, I cannot have it because I'm allergic to such and such. My child is allergic to such and such. I cannot have it. A person becomes extremely careful. So muttaqi is who? Someone who is very careful. Now okay, there is a person who is trying to protect himself because he has a food allergy. There is another person who wants to protect himself because there is a viral infection going on. Now this person muttaqi, what is he trying to save himself from? Muttaqi is a person who is trying to save himself from the punishment of Allah. From loss, from failure, from punishment in the hereafter. So if a person wants to save himself from the punishment in the hereafter, he will become careful. How? In the way that he lives in this dunya. In the way that he behaves in this dunya. How will he become careful? In what way? That first of all, he will do what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has commanded. Because when a person does what Allah has commanded, then that is a means of protection from punishment. And secondly, he will stay away from what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. Because if he commits the forbidden, then what's going to happen? He is guilty. When he is guilty, he is deserving of punishment. So who is muttaqi? What's the definition of muttaqi? The one who has taken shield, protection from what? The punishment of Allah. How? By doing what Allah has commanded and staying away from what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forbidden. So over here Allah says, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابِ This Qur'an is a book in which there is no doubt, but this Qur'an is a guidance for who? الْمُتَّقِينَ In Surah Al-Fatiha, we made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, اِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ Guide us to the straight way. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows us guidance over here. Where is guidance? Where is it contained? In this book of Allah. If you want guidance... Yes, you make dua for it, but you also put in effort for it. In order to attain guidance, what do you have to do? Study the book of Allah. But in order to benefit from the book of Allah, what do you have to do? You have to have this quality of taqwa. Because Allah says, Hudallil muttaqeen. This also shows to us that the purpose of this book is what? To show guidance. The purpose of this book is not just to impart knowledge, impart information. If you want information, you can get it from many, many sources. But if you want guidance, you get it from the Qur'an. 
However, this guidance is not received by everyone who studies this book. Everyone who reads this book. Who can receive guidance from this book? The person who has taqwa. This is very similar to how merely reading a book on time management does not make you efficient in managing your time. Merely reading a book on healthy eating does not make you a person who is healthy. Isn't it so? Merely reading a book on writing well does not make you an excellent writer. First step is that you read the book. But along with reading the book, you have to do certain things. If you don't do those certain things, then reading that book was useless. It will not bring you any benefit at all. Like for example, there are some people who want to become more efficient in their business, who want to become more efficient in their skills. So they read one book after the other, but you see no change in them. Why? Because they're reading the books and they're putting them away. They're not implementing anything. They're not benefiting from the book. So in order to benefit from the Qur'an, we have to have these qualities. We have to have the quality of taqwa. If we don't have this quality of taqwa, then this study will be useless. The study of the Qur'an will be useless. Reading of the Qur'an will not bring any benefit to a person. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ هُدًا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ Now, we learned that one of the companions, he asked another companion, what is taqwa? So he responded to him, that have you ever taken a path between thorny bushes? Have you ever tried to go through thorny bushes? So he said yes. So he asked him that what did you do? How did you pass through those thorny bushes? He said, I gathered in my clothes and I became careful. I collected my clothes together and I became very careful in how I was walking. That any thorn I saw, any part of the bush that I saw coming my way, I avoided it. I stayed away from it. I collected myself even more. Like for example, if you have to go through the classroom right now, through the middle, and if you have something big with you, how will you walk? Casually? If you walk casually, you're going to hurt other people. So how will you walk? With care and attention. You will keep your bag close to you. You will keep your stuff with you. You will hold your jacket closer. You will hold your abaya closer. Right? You will become more conscious and alert of your surroundings, of every step you take. This is who a muttaqi is. A muttaqi person does not live a heedless life. A muttaqi person lives a conscious life, alert. He is alert about his surroundings. And he is alert about what he's doing, what he's saying. Meaning that he has certain rules to live by. He will not just follow his desires. I don't feel like waking up right now, so I will sleep. This is not a muttaqi person. Muttaqi person is who? Even if he wants to sleep, it's time to pray, he will get up. He is careful. Why? Because he wants to save himself from punishment in the hereafter. Similarly, a muttaqi person is he who is very careful about what he puts in his mouth. I'm hungry. I don't care. I'm just going to go get this food and I'm going to eat it. No, he's going to be careful. What is it made with? What are the ingredients? Is it halal? Is it haram? What is it? Is it lawful for me to even eat it? So he will become more careful. Why? He wants to save himself from the punishment in the hereafter. Similarly, a muttaqi person is not one who just says whatever he feels like. Or yells whenever he wants to. Backbites whenever he wants to. No, he becomes careful in his speech as well. Why? Because he's afraid of the punishment of Allah. So who is muttaqi? How can you understand a muttaqi person? Alert. 
conscious, careful, responsible. This is who muttaqi is. A person who is concerned about his well-being, about his safety. A person who wants to be successful. There are some people who live their life very carefully, in a very alert manner. And when they live their life very carefully, they're concerned about where they're getting their money from, how they plan to be successful, how they plan to make money. Like for example, if a person wants to be successful in his career, he will make sure that he studies well, he has a good degree, he makes a good resume, and then he applies in different places. And when he will put that effort in, inshallah he will get somewhere. But if there is a person who barely did his undergrad, and he's just sitting with his results, he's not working on improving his resume, he's not working on getting another certification, or applying for a job, trying to get promoted, will he get anywhere? He will not get anywhere. So a muttaqi is who? Someone who wants to get the best out of his life. This is why he's conscious. This is why he's alert about what he says, what he eats, what he does, where he goes, what he listens to. This is who a muttaqi is. So a person who wants to be successful, a person who wants to live a meaningful life, a person who is alert and conscious, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, this person will find guidance where? In the book of Allah. He will find guidance in the book of Allah. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ And there's no doubt in this book. هُدًا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ It's a guide for those people who have taqwa. Now over here we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says هُدًا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ Now do we not understand this that Qur'an is a guidance for all people? Isn't it so? Isn't that what we have been told from the very beginning Qur'an is guidance for everybody? Yes. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself also says that. In Surah Al-Baqarah, Ayah 185, Allah says, شَهْرُ رَمَضَانَ الَّذِي أُنزِلَ فِيهِ الْقُرْآنِ هُدًا لِلنَّاسِ This Qur'an in it is guidance for people. In this Qur'an is guidance for who? For all mankind. But over here we see, هُدًا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ It has been narrowed down to who? Those people who have taqwa. This is not a contradiction. Remember that hidayah, guidance is of two types. I told you earlier as well. One type of hidayah is hidayah of irshad. Hidayah of ilm. So when it comes to all people, yes, they can get irshad, they can get knowledge from where? From the Qur'an. If a person wants to know about Prophet Nuh salam, can he find some information from the Qur'an? Yes, he can. If a person wants to know about what foods are Muslims allowed to eat and what are they not allowed to eat, can he find this information from the Qur'an? Yes, he can. Okay. So one type of guidance is hidayah of irshad, hidayah of ilm. And in this sense, the Qur'an is guidance for all people. Alright? In this sense, Qur'an is guidance for who? All mankind, all people. Whether he believes or he doesn't believe, whether he's muttaqi or he's not a muttaqi. The second type of guidance is which one? Hidayah of tawfiq. Hidayah of amal. When a person is given the ability to act on the knowledge, to benefit from the knowledge, when that information turns into real knowledge, when it becomes a part of the person. It's not just information that he has recorded, but rather he internalizes that information so he lives by it. You understand? This hidayah of amal is only for who? For those people who have taqwa. When it comes to knowledge, any person can gain information from the Qur'an. When it comes to truly benefiting from that information, who can benefit? What do we learn from this ayah? Hudan lil muttaqin. It's a guidance for who? For those people who have taqwa. 
So the first type of hidayah is hidayah irshad, and the second type of hidayah is hidayah tawfiq. When a person is given the ability to act on the knowledge. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Fusilat, ayah 44, That say this Qur'an is a guidance and a cure for those people who believe. For those people who believe this Qur'an is a cure. But for those people who don't believe this Qur'an is not a cure for them. They will not benefit. So if a person wants to truly benefit from this Qur'an, then what does he need to do? He needs to have taqwa. muttaqin. It's a guidance for those people who have taqwa. Now before we move on, I want you to reflect on this ayah. I want you to read this ayah. Everybody together. From the beginning. Alif, Lam, Meem. ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ خُدًا لِلْمُتَّقِينَ What do you understand? ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word ذَلِكَ and ذَلِكَ is to point out to something that is far or exalted in its status. What does it show to us? That this Qur'an is the great book. It's a very noble book. It's a very exalted book. It's a very special book. What does this show to us? That if this book is great, then a person who holds on to this book, will he become great? Will he? Yes. If this Qur'an is very respectable, then a person who holds on to this book, will he become respectable? Yes. If this Qur'an is exalted, then a person who holds on to this Qur'an, will he become exalted? Yes. If a person wants to become successful in this dunya, in the akhirah, then what does he need to do? Hold on to this exalted book. Hold on to this prestigious book. If a person wants to become very prestigious, what do they do? They live in a prestigious house. There are certain standards that people have created. If you want to be of the elite, if you want to be great, if you want to stand out, then don't just carry any bag. Don't just wear any shoes. Why are you going to Walmart? Go to this particular store, right? Get a coach bag. Get a Louis Vuitton bag, right? This is what you should carry. So in this dunya also, we have made standards for ourselves that if you want to be exalted, then you have to wear a certain thing. You have to go to a certain place. Right? We say, don't go to this store, go to this particular huge big mall. Why are you going to this small grocery store? Go to this expensive grocery store, go to this you know, new organic store. So this is how we look at this dunya as well. If you want to become exalted, you have to hold on to exalted things. If you want to have a good resume, you don't just go to any other college, you go to a good university. If you want to go high up there, then you must have those things which show that great status. So if a person wants to become great and successful, he wants to get distinction in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, in this dunya, in the akhirah, what must he hold on to? The book of Allah, because this book is great. ذَلِكَ kitab. Then Allah says, لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ There is no doubt in it. There is no doubt in the book of Allah. What do you learn from this? What comes to your mind? What do you understand? When you hear, لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ there is no doubt in this book. What do you understand? When there is nothing doubtful 
in this book, when there is nothing doubtful about this book, then what does it mean? We have to take this book seriously. If, for example, you want to get a book on cooking, you want to get good recipes, what will you get? Just any book that has beautiful pictures in it? Will you get any book? No. You will look at the book and you will say, bestseller, tried and tested recipes. And perhaps you will read somebody's remarks or somebody's comments concerning that book, maybe perhaps a very successful chef or a nutritionist. You will read a comment or two and you will say, okay, these recipes are good. This is something that I need. And then you will buy that book. Isn't it? But if it's an ordinary book, no reviews, nothing, are you going to take that book? Not at all. Similarly, you want to get a book on self-improvement, how to improve yourself. You want to develop some of your skills. Will you just buy any book? Will you just go read anything? No. What will you get? For example, you will get Stephen Covey. Right? You will get renowned authors, their books. You will get bestsellers. Why? Because when you read bestsellers, when you read a comment that was given in New York Times, for example, that gives you trust and confidence. Then you will benefit. Similarly, this Qur'an, Allah says, لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ Everything is factual in this book. Have no doubt, have no fear, have no worry. This is the key. This is what will lead you to success. لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِ Nothing doubtful at all. And it's very, very important that as we study this book, we must remove all doubts from our mind and heart. All doubts. Because if a person has doubts, then what will happen? He will be biased. His vision will be blurry. He will not be able to benefit. For example, if you don't trust an author and you're reading their book, you're going to doubt every other state. You're going to be like, yeah, right. How is it possible? It's not true. What's their evidence? Is there any study that supports it? Is there any research that supports it? You won't just take it and believe in it. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, ذَلِكَ الْكِتَابُ لَا Every statement in this book is true. You don't need a study to prove it. You don't need any research to prove it. Why? Because this book is from who? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who is the Lord of the worlds. This is why لَا رَيْبَ There's no doubt in it. And then Allah says, هُدَلْ لِلْمُتَّقِينَ It is a guidance for who? Those people who have taqwa. That's the condition. If we want to benefit from the book of Allah, what quality must we have? Taqwa. That we should become careful. We should become conscious. We should become alert. And how is it that a person can become alert and conscious? More conscious when he remembers Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he remembers the last day. When he remembers the accountability in the hereafter. This is what brings taqwa. Hudan lil muttaqeen. Who are the muttaqeen? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes them further in the following ayah. These are the qualities that the muttaqeen have. I want you to understand muttaqeen very clearly. It's very important. Because hudal al-muttaqeen, I told you the two types of hidayah, right? Hidayah of ilm and hidayah of amal. The key to knowledge, the key to action, what is it? Taqwa, the fear of Allah. When a person wants to protect themselves, do they educate themselves? Yes, they do. I have a friend who has a dairy allergy, her and her son also. Both of them have a dairy allergy. She cannot have acidic food. Her son cannot have acidic food. And she's very concerned about eating healthy, eating good, fresh, organic, so on and so forth. So she's extremely careful about what she buys, what she eats, what she feeds her son. And when you talk to her, she will tell you so many things, so many benefits of you know certain foods. 
or so many harmful effects of certain chemicals because she has educated herself. She wants to protect herself and her son. This is why she has educated herself so much about food and nutrition. So this is very true. When a person wants to protect themselves, what do they do? They gain knowledge. Taqwa is the key to ilm. And taqwa is also the key to amal. When a person wants to protect themselves, they're serious about protecting themselves, then only they will do something. You can tell a person, don't drink soda all the time, don't eat this food all the time, it's not good for you, it's unhealthy. They won't listen to you. Even if they see the harmful effects, they will not listen to you. They will still eat unhealthy food. Why? They're not concerned about saving themselves, about protecting themselves. They're not concerned about living a healthier life. Because if they were concerned, if they were careful, if they were afraid, then what would they do? They would do amal. So taqwa is also the key to action. Taqwa therefore is the key to success. And only a person who is serious about saving himself in the hereafter will benefit from the Qur'an. So we all must develop this quality in ourselves as well. That we all must become muttaqi if we want to benefit from the book of Allah. We must have this burning desire Desire to really improve, to really change ourselves, to really become better in the sight of Allah, to really benefit people, to become successful in the hereafter, to not just get by in the hereafter, but to be in the highest levels of paradise. If we have this desire, if we have this yearning, then we will benefit from the book of Allah. If we don't have this yearning, then what will happen? We will study and this will be over and no change will come. Because it happens, people say, I know so and so, they have studied the Qur'an, look at them, they talk in this way. Look at them, they behave in this way. Look at them, they do such and such. Why is it so? There is no desire to change. There is no desire to protect oneself. A person may have ilm, but he can only have amal when he wants good for himself. So want this good for yourself. Let this journey be meaningful. Let this journey be beneficial for yourself and also for those people who are with you. We will listen to the recitation of these ayat. وَبِالْآخِرَةِ هُمْ يُوقِنُونَ أُولَئِكَ 